0: Welcome all uh, to another great episode of Candid with Gridable, where we had promised interesting conversations with industry leaders, financial stalwarts, and fintech entrepreneurs. In the last episode, we heard the role of digitization from a customer's perspective and from a CFO's lens. Today is going to be very different, uh, exciting and insightful. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest for today who frankly needs no introduction. We have a catalyst for change and promoting the ever-evolving payment and digital trade landscape in India. Divesh Dalal, currently Managing Director and India Head for Global Transaction Services at DBS, has worked across multiple leading multinational banks. In his role, uh, he is responsible for cash, trade, and the custody franchise, and also leads the bank's digital initiatives across the spectrum. So whether it was commercializing the launch of UPI in 2016 or enabling real-time payments uh, as a platform for truck drivers in 2020, Didi, and that's how we all know him, has been at the helm of transformation in transaction banking over the years. Divesh, very warm welcome to Candid with Credible. Thank you so much for taking time out and doing this today. Thanks a lot, Neelap. Thanks to you and your team. I hope I'm audible. Yes, you are.
1: Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So first of all, a big thank you to you guys uh, and your team for, for actually inviting me. And uh, I think you guys are doing a phenomenal job in the market uh, in these times, especially when uh, you know suppliers and uh, a lot of customers need help. So I think it's kudos to people like you guys that you know some of them are able to kind of uh, you know get through these troubling times.
0: So I think it's great. And thanks a lot. And I hope I'll be able to add a little value. Uh, this is my no, I, no doubt about that thank you for your kind words uh, mm-hmm. coming from you that's a big endorsement and really really appreciate it so D, let's let's talk about your journey uh, you know through, through your career you started you know why don't you tell us where you started how did you get to dbs and uh, what's your favorite part of the job at dbs, at DBS today yeah so, um, so i basically started way back in 97 uh, that's when
1: I uh, basically yeah, uh, started my job. I started career with uh, in banking. So I was with KPMG and I started auditing banks. Uh, before that, I spent some good time in TARA Finance. So I think financial services is something that I knew probably a little better than anything else. So I thought might as well kind of get into it. Um, so I spent three years with them uh, across uh, HSBC, Noida and a couple of other banks also have So I did that for three years. Um, tried, you know, very, very hard to get into trading, um, but unfortunately, you know, didn't get the right opportunity. Uh, and then basically I called into the city for uh, two years. Get an audit out there. So then, you know, how can I learn more about banking? So, so I think two years in, in city. And uh, then I basically decided, that, you know, the college school later, like, let me just, you know, take a dad back doing my MBA. So I went out and did MBA at ISP in 2003. So again, I never thought that uh, after marriage, I'll take such a big step, uh, but I did. So I kind of borrowed some money and, and uh, I, I, even in those times, I think ISP was like really expensive. So borrowed money, uh, went and did my MBA, came back thinking that I'll get a better job. But yeah, back to square one again. So, so again, uh, it was tough. Uh, went back and worked in corporate finance at City Bank again. So, I thought at least now somebody will look at me in a different lens. But unfortunately, the lens never changed. So I guess you know I had to kind of stick it out, and I spent some time, with a uh, year and a half to two with the uh, uh, CFO. Uh, in his office as corporate finance so various initiatives at City RAN, you know, across their own legal vehicle expansion, etc. So I did that and then 2004 is when I got into transaction banking in full scale. did 6 years in sales for around 4 to 5 years. So I spent around a good amount of 14-15 years out there and then uh, 14 is when you know, I left City, went i 8 he- Ran the cash management business at HS, and uh, April 19 is when I joined DBS uh, out here uh, running cash trade custody. So, uh, so yeah, it's been it's been a great ride. I mean, honestly, I can't complain. Um, I'm always grateful to all my employers to you know take uh, at least you know a call on me and, and letting me run some things that I have done. Uh, I I don't think I would have. You know, expected most of them to kind of do that. But yeah, I mean, they did, uh, and in those times it was great. So I think some of the organisations and the risk appetite there, which is fabulous, I think uh, And the opportunity it gives you to know yourself better, is much, 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 much more than what what people generally. Think. So a big thank you to all my employers and uh, even you know, folks who at City who took uh, you know, a call of me, my first boss, William H. Really great for them. I mean, I think. Uh, those folks really taught me, you know, basics of banking and you know how how product management is so important. And uh, it's like uh, I realized that consumer behavior is more important than anything in financial services. And uh, that's the only subject I didn't take in B school. So I have that regret on you know finance does not mean no consumer behavior. So it's one of those tricky things you learn when you when you get on the field and speak to customers. So yeah, so, so that's been the journey, but at BBS, I think the best part of the job is, you uh, know, we are a bank which uh, which is growing in India significantly, uh, the, the acquisition of Lakshmi last time, LBB last November has been a big step uh, in the direction of really going deeper into the country, I think that was most important for us, and uh, post that I've been traveling, uh, you know, to various parts of, uh, India, mostly south, uh, you know, the Tamil Nadu, Andhra, Telangana, all the textile clusters and,
0: and all the manufacturing
1: clusters in these three, four states. So it's been pretty interesting, actually, to, to, to ask people. Um, although COVID has hit them, but I think the spirits are rampant. at that all of just um, There is need for credit, and that's the best part of my job, That right? you know to understand how we can get credit across to folks who really need it more than anything else. And these are guys who kind of spend the midnight you know, to, to keep the lights on, right? And, and uh, they don't have any backup. and uh, i think if i can do anything out here to, to help these folks to kind of uh, you know fight through in these times it'll be great and honestly that's the only thing that i think of now is like how can you help these folks to get through because i'm sure the big boys will manage themselves but it's a smaller guy that gets killed in about and that's where i think folks like you make a very very big difference right so so uh, uh, it's a good beginning, uh, is what I would say for us and for uh, folks like you. Uh, in terms of getting into supply chains, uh, there will be some noise, uh, as always. You know, there'll be some bad actors on the way. But I think it's uh, it's a phenomenal opportunity. If you ask me, for for the market, for the street and for the MSME and because the MS the MS the uh, they clearly need this more
0: than anyone else in my view. Sorry, I think I just went okay. along. I mean, for a bank, uh, a multinational bank, to start thinking about the SME, MSME sector and, and focus on that, that's, that's pretty much unheard of. But then that's expected of someone like you, Didi. Uh, that being said, uh, then, you, know, you have seen uh, now 20, 20 odd years of uh, evolution of trade finance in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think the landscape has changed from where you began to, to where it is today? Uh, and where do you see it going? So, I think, you know, uh, just a couple of things. I think earlier, probably, let's say, uh,
1: uh, two decades back when I started my career at I think it was largely, uh, uh, you know, the large corporates which are looking at discounting and facility, right? I think um, they were first trying to get funds in early. So, I think that was the first way wherein the large corporates, uh, you know, started using the facilities. Uh, It gradually over the next 10 years, 2010, etc. I think the smaller ones have got to the party, but again, uh, as all of us would have read, I think the rates are still not as low as they ought to have been because of credit reasons, etc. Rates remain high, but it hasn't, you know, kind of moved down to um, the smaller guys. I think what has happened now is that people have moved from uh, viewing. Financing as a uh, as a short term credit facility to a transactional facility, and I think that's where the trick is. Um, if if you are a or other one, a lender is able to identify the commercial transaction, whether current or in future, that's going to happen between the buyer and the seller, and basis that if you can give financing to the manufacturer or the seller, the manufacturer goods and then you know kind of obtain financing on the back of the history of piece with uh, with a particular buyer, then I think that is a piece which, in my view, will, will provide more information, more insight, more clarity, and that will help reduce the credit expenses on there. So I think that is gradually started to come in. Probably so there's a long way to go, right? I mean, given the way the MSMEs are in the country and the rates at which they're borrowing, I think there's a lot of scope out there. Uh, and secondly, again, uh, I mean, most most of the techs have grown up in the last couple of years, uh, looked at, you know, just managing or at least helping the MSMEs and the post-shipping side, which again is great, right? Uh, they didn't have to, or they don't no longer have to go to a nine branch and seek financing because if you go to a tier two, tier three, they still go to a branch, right? So I think all the digitization effort in my view is going to help in a large way and banks like ourselves and even companies like yourselves will really play a large role in my view over the years to come because in two, three, and four cities, I think it's still, it's still more manual and I mean, there is room, there's significant room for, for automation and digitalization. So I think it's moved a lot. First is price discovery. Second is the way you transact, whether it's paper or digital. And third is how do you use history and data to actually go ahead and reduce the credit cost, right? And if that translates down to the ultimate borrow, which would be tier two, three. I think it's it's great.
0: No, sure, absolutely, and and I think if you think about anchor down risk, uh, it, which is you know very prevalent in most of the factory and supply chain programs yeah. that that people stitch together, uh, that creates a lot of inclusion because uh, with with you know platforms such as tokenization, where we're able to do multi multi tier financing across supply chains. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, banks like DBS taking a forefront lead in partnering with fintechs to be able to do that, uh, I think creates great opportunity for uh, the entire supplier ecosystem, a uh, dealer, distributor, retailer ecosystem, to get right. access to, to you know affordable capital. And and you know, I think, and probably you'd agree that over the next ten years, this would significantly penetrate uh, down to you know, the lowest common denominator, so to speak, of the supply chain ecosystem. That being said, I mean, you know, everyone talks about technology, digitization these days. Um, Well, We earn a living doing that. But that being said, you know, how do you see, uh, do you see uh, a significant role of digitization and technology in banking today? Uh, And where do you see it evolving over the next, you know, maybe five years? So I think, uh... I think
1: customers uh, again uh, basis you know my recent down. I realized there are you know there's a distinct difference between the way the metros run, the state capitals run in terms of the, the the buying behavior of customers. And you look at tier two, three, four, right? So if you look at metros and state capitals, um, given that the, the number of banks and financial institutions in these you know uh, these locations are significantly high. Uh, invariably people have a lot of choice right and therefore they're able to kind of go ahead and do more obviously um, even the wallet opportunity in the metros and and state capitals is significantly high but if you go to tier 234 the guy actually does not have too much of you know uh, uh, he doesn't have too much of choice there are largely three four banks and and a couple of them which are digital and there are a couple which are not uh, and given that there are a few banks, in most more often than not, the, the corporate, however small, league, uh, maybe like uh, twenty crore, thirty crore turnover, these corporates would typically bank, you know, the, the corporate side and the retail side at the same time. They wouldn't kind of you know split and go on so much. So I think both Bharat as well as India function very differently in terms of consumer behavior. Right. So that's the first one. Second, therefore, there's an opportunity basis the market that you want to go to. So if you want to just go to, if you're two, three, four markets, fantastic, right? You just need to digitize a little, probably add on a little more. Sorry. So you probably need to add on a little more in terms of uh, uh, linear digital capabilities and the way they interact with you in terms of submitting a request, etc. And you'll be able to kind of get a large portion of, the requests that you receive at the branch digital significantly. But if you move to the state capitals and, and uh, you know, the metros, I think there's significant work that's required in terms of digitalization. Uh, one, uh, I, I believe that uh, like the account applicator piece that's you know, kind of taken shape over the last couple of years. Um, I think being agnostic is going to be significantly important right? as a corporate treasurer. Uh, I would love to interact with, you know, a portal or whether it's a bank managed or it's a fintech managed, which is agnostic to, uh, you know, the institution that it represents, right? So if there is anything that can be agnostic, I think it's got phenomenal value because it gives the buyer of services the breadth to go and engage with any service provider, right? Otherwise, invariably, it's all bilateral. And by that, it has its own challenges with respect to price, with respect to engagement, et cetera, right? So if there's anything, I think that's the most important piece that's going to it out. And if you look at all ecosystems on the smartphone, et cetera, right? Although, you know, um, the Android as well as the iOS ecosystem is different, but fundamentally, the way it works is that you have, you have choice, right? So anything which gives you more choice is going to really run very fast. Right, compared to ones do no good choice, right? And I think consumers again it will start from metro state capitals and we start trickling down to uh, you know, tier two, three, four. But but again, as I said, tier two, three, four are very different in terms of landscape compared to the metros and state capitals. So I think agnostic is going to be, in my view, the single biggest differentiator between a service provider, to um, corporates in the next two to three years. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and, and speaking of which, I mean, uh, you see of, of course a lot of fintechs uh, providing a platform where you have multiple yeah. choices available yeah. to the consumer. What, what scope do you see of banks and fintechs uh, working together, uh, especially in, in areas of uh, both payables and receivables financing? Yeah, so look, I think uh, uh, banks and fintechs in my view work together.
1: Uh, I think two, three things. One is speed to market. I think fintechs clearly uh, can do a couple of things far more uh, in terms of, you know, the agile, the nimbleness, et cetera. I think they're far better than uh, banks can be probably. Uh, obviously, there, is, there are areas where, uh, you know, integrations, et cetera, which are done with profits, uh, you know, it won't make much of a difference. But typically, fintechs are a little quicker than uh, most banks are. I think on receivables and payables financing, uh, the, the beauty would be if, or the best solution would be that fintech, you, you know, integrates with, with a corporate customer and then has the ability to engage uh, with multiple service providers, i.e., banks or multiple providers of credit, basis which, you know, uh, in case if bank X has spread appetite on, you know, a borrower, then they can start doing an update. So I thought that,
0: in my view, would be the best way for receivables. Mm -hmm. Right, but I I would also think that, you know, uh, fintechs may may be able to scale programs uh, far more effectively in terms of increasing debt. And and I think that's really what the bank values, I would presume, because, uh, you know, to be able to reach out to thousands of vendors or thousands of dealers and distributors digitally and then onboard them, and then you
1: can yeah. And then yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. So you're Right. Actually, it's. Uh, I think it's uh, in the way we look at it in DBS. It's no longer just the anchor. So we would look at it as uh, or other banks. In my view, would look at it as how many anchors you would get to the you know table, but how many spokes you would get, right? Because typically the multiplier would be you know one anchor. Could uh, we have uh, an anchor with some eight hundred spokes, and there are some anchors which are even fifty spokes, right? So. So I think the beauty would be how many, uh, how many spokes does the, does the fintech get to the table? Because you want to lend to the spoke, right? The spoke yeah. is where you can do much more, right? The anchor anyway is probably bank. I think I would want to believe that most anchors today anyway, uh, I mean, outside of fintechs, they would have engaged the bank, but they realize that the integration is really bad and they're not nimble agile, etc. So they go to a fintech, they can do far more. And obviously then your multiple service providers that helps you get the price on anyway right so so in my view i think the spoke is the key is a key piece of the puzzle if you can fix the spoke, then i think you can lend more and you can make more money so for example you know i, I typically tell this to most of our customers that for one one dark soap that gets sold in the market today if i finance it from duny side the whole flow and the commercials are different. But I, if I finance the tier one, tier two, three suppliers, I think the commercials are very, very different. Right? In fact, even the, the requirements are very, very different. So I think that is the key piece in my no, If you can fix, yeah, if you can attack that, and if you can address it, I think genuinely, there's a lot of problem and value that we can add. In.
0: No, absolutely. And, and this also relates to the point you were making earlier about data being, uh, you know, yeah. the greatest asset. So, absolutely, because you're able to collect so much financial and transactional data on yeah. this ecosystem, I think that helps lending to a great extent.
1: Yeah, and the other piece which I'd like to, you know, leave with you guys again is, is again, think of tier 234. Uh, an MSME in tier 234 is not, it does not engage with a bank or a fintech for a transaction, right? They, they engage for, you know, uh, we want to kind of deal with you for not one but multiple transactions and could be across their own you know so could be payables could be receivables financing and even in terms of receivable financing how can you help them kind of even uh, you know procure better from various service providers? Right. so i think the key is that right it's not about you just financing one invoice and getting away the key is how you help them kind of even manufacture more and how you can help them even you know get that better deal out there which in my view today if you see on some of the platforms that are available in the market, that's missing in a large way. So I think that's the biggest space. If you ask me,
0: if you can get that, I think it's just uh, it's a goal or less there That's interesting. I mean, uh, it's it's a thought that we we at credible need to think about as well. So, no, that's that's a great idea. By the way, you when when you really you try to stitch together a supply chain program, especially with a fintech? How many teams? Are involved from the bank. You know, are there uh, different uh, constituent uh, teams that need to come together uh, to make us to have a successful launch uh, for a, for an S C F platform or an S C F product? Uh, that being said, do you see conflicts? Uh, are there internal conflicts when when you know you're working with a third party uh, fintech versus directly working with the corporate? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so if you have to build a platform,
1: I think there are two, three things, right? One is uh, um, we all want to have the best, you know, platform out in front of the customer, right? But, um, but unfortunately, I think history would state that invariably what we think when you start off and what you finally land up in terms of delivery on, you know, day one, your MVP. And, uh, and your final end state product will be a huge difference between the two, right? And I think invariably, you know, most, most of the, most of us banks of the process, you know, you, the entire process. I think this over, trying to oversimplify the journey, but, you know, knowing the customer, but trying to simplify the journey beyond the point, you know, makes it very, very difficult. So I think the the key aspect is, you know, you define the journey, you get to the market, and then you improvise as you go along, right? And I think that piece on, you know, launch and then improvise, launch, improvise, you keep on doing that, that is far better than, you know, trying to have the ideal nirvana in state when you kind of launch, right? I mean, uh, even um, the best movies launched by Pixar uh, never started off the way they kind of, uh, you know, wrote the script. So, so fundamentally, I think that's the piece which, which most of us get stuck in. Uh, but it's for leaders like us like you and me, to kind of step back and look at you know what is the bare minimum that we want to go with and then take a hard call on you know whether the, the customer feedback is, is the other way or we indeed need to change the script. Right? So I think that's in that in my view is the biggest challenge, right? Your ability to step back and you know, kind of look at is this good to kind of go into the market and can we improvise as we go along. Otherwise, you know, in our desire to get it you know spot on. Uh, you know, can really kill on time uh, in my view, especially financial services. I think that's clearly an issue. But yeah, I mean, uh, going just a little bit into what you mentioned, yeah, since we engage with multiple fintech partners and, our, you know, own uh, tech service providers, internal tech service providers, there is obviously a challenge uh, in terms of getting both the speaks. I think that is one piece we have to keep on managing. Um, second is, I think the balance between what we should build and what we should collaborate. I think that's the biggest piece, if you ask me. Uh, invariably, again, in our desire to kind of build out the entire monster ourselves, uh, you know, do we miss out on the opportunity in the market? And that's the question we have to keep on asking. And then, uh, so, you know, engage with fintechs, get to the market, and then see what's good, uh, how much do we want to build, and how much do we want to leverage. It's a decision that we keep on taking at, at all points in time. And it's with, it's with everyone that we engage with, right? And now, given the fact that uh, you know each fintech uh, in its own ecosystem, so there is logistics ecosystem, there's dairy ecosystem, and then there is pure-play fintechs so on the financial side. All of them have now started looking at finance. So the dairy guys have also started looking at oh, we have got data for finance. So the, you know, the logistics guys also doing the same thing. So everyone has a different model, but they didn't build they didn't build the baseline platform of finance, right? So so even they got a tweak and we got also kind of tweak the way we look at them and data. But but again, as I said, you, you know, uh, the balance is key to maintain what to collaborate and what to build out and uh, how much to collaborate with each one of them such that it doesn't become too binding, right? So if any one of us wants to kind of move away or type with somebody else, um, then they should be free on that uh, because I clearly believe that. If you give freedom to most people, then I think you can go far better. If you start binding folks, then it becomes very on beyond the point.
0: Sure. So, and also, I think from from anchor's perspective, right? Large corporates have. If you try and st- every program is so unique, and yeah. the requirements are so unique. So by the time you actually finish implementing one and you start the other, the, the uh, whole whole uh, demand set has completely moved. So absolutely. it's it's always challenging to keep up yeah. with that. Uh, you know, as a bank. And and uh, one of the reasons we exist is because banks, uh, you know, want to trust fintechs with, like us to focus on the tech side and focus on all of that, uh, yeah. while yeah. they can focus on core things like credit and, and this. That being said, banks, of course, are, are highly regulated. Fintechs on the other side are not regulated at all. Um, or, or most of them, at least, are not regulated at all. So, do you see uh, the government stepping in and the RBI stepping in in and uh, start regulating fintechs like China has done with, say, something like Ant Financial? Uh, do you see that round the corner, or would you like to see that around the corner? Um, so again, so I would like to put it this way that
1: I think, you know, leaving aside the way regulations are, I mean, it. Uh, I'll, I'll touch upon that later, but the way I look at it is that if, I, if, I, if there's a corporate you know, buyer of services, right, and I a corporate, and I think the biggest challenge they have in their mind is to engage with a fintech from a security perspective, right, data security. And I think whether the regulator says anything or whether the government says anything, I think the fintech has to deal with the challenge of how do I cross that mental block that the corporate has with respect to data security for the data that, you know, they will provide to us will reside on our application or whether the application resides almost on the server at the corporate end or at the server at your end or on the cloud doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is that the corporate will always have that anxiety, that data is sitting with a third party to, uh, you know, where they cannot go ahead and enforce anything, right? So if there's a FinTech and if there are data security issues, will we, anchor, we will be able to go ahead and you know, kind of sue the fintech, they won't be able to get anything out of the fintech. Sure. So I think it is, so I think most fintechs have realized that it is in their interest to kind of ensure that at least their standards are as high as the the banks have today probably. Maybe they're not regulated, but I think more often than not, and I'm sure you guys also do the same thing, right? Because you don't want to blow out. Because for you, reputation is more important than anything, right? And if you look at the substance or form. Uh, governments or regulators want to ensure that you know, you don't have blowouts which impact the entire ecosystem. And you also want to ensure the same thing. So actually both are working in the same direction. It's just that when when there is a blowout, somebody needs to step in to say that you, know, you don't run away with, with information or you don't run away with data or you don't run away with even money sometimes. So actually if you look at the whole um, you know guidelines, of the DPSS funds for payment aggregators, with initial rollout I think in 2008-9. Yeah, before that they were not even regulated, right? So normal didn't exist until 2008-9, it never existed. But then obviously RBI looked at it and it comes of you know, money which is third party money, merchant money, sitting in, you know, uh, various investments which probably they thought was inappropriate. So that's why they stepped in. So I thought, I mean, those kind of things will happen. So again, it depends on how fintechs look at themselves and how they regulate themselves in terms of discipline and bearing. And if that's maintained, you know, I don't see any reason why there should be any overbearing regulation. But yeah, if there is abuse of
0: power and space and freedom, I, you know, I guess you know, some of it may be kind of evaluated. Well. And, and you've seen that happen recently, right? When, uh, you know, all these loan aggregators, so to speak, without an NBSC license and and they yeah. have created all sorts of problems for, for customers, and then the RBI was stepping in. So you see uh, shades of regulation being. Uh, yeah, but, uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, but see, that's what I'm saying, right? I mean, uh, we, you have to
1: always look at the interest of the, either the borrower or the lender or the merchant in case of let's say payments, etc. Right? Now, if any of their interest is compromised because somebody you know overstepped all overstepped the regulation right or stretch their boundaries because they're not regulated you ought to you know kind of expect some of it to come back and meet you right so so in our desire to you know uh, or exuberance to just go in and kind of get more market share if you do stuff which is crazy and obviously it'll impact and see look it's like this right i mean there are x fintechs in the market today even if there are two or three which blow up it's going to impact all of them. Right, so it's the weakest link in the chain that will impact the chain the most, in my view. So I think it's in it's in interest of everyone, you know, banks, fintechs, everyone. Even banks will have a challenge. Right? So in a of fintech that blows up, I think the, the regulation, if there's any in future, will impact the fintech and the banks. Right, so it will it will be a challenge. It's not it's on the phone. So I think people have to look at it more closely. That you know what is it that, that the regulator or the government is trying to do? And you will see it in the in the various ones, whether you've got you've got nodal, you look at OPGSP, you look at Nodal, recent PAPG guidelines, all of those, you can see the basis, right? And if you're crossing some of those, then yeah, I mean, you
0: can't you can't kind of blame the regulator. Right. And and uh, in today's DNA, if I don't ask this question, which I'm about to uh, you know, viewers are going to kill me. So this has been the shortest gap, right, in terms in between two large recessions. You had a, the crash of 2008, and then of course you've had COVID in, 2000, in 2020. Um, you know, what what have you seen? Uh, if, you know, as a difference between both of these black swan events, uh, in terms of how has the landscape changed, especially for supply chain financing? So look, I
1: mean. I mean, I'll get into supply chain later, but I think uh, 2008 and, you know, COVID, I mean, they are chocolate cheese in my view. Uh, black zone, I can understand, but this is, I mean, this gets you more real and uh, closer to life and people, I think, that matter more to you. Um, honestly, I think uh, you, you thank, you thank folks more. Uh, now than probably in 2008 you would have and you're grateful to, you know, things that have worked for you, to be honest. Um, and I think this has been a watershed, a significant change in the outlook of people um, and the way they look at business, the way they look at partnerships, collaboration. I just recently met a treasurer and he had a personal exigence. I met him yesterday and he had a personal exigence in the family and he looks at the corporate very differently now than he did probably even a year back. Right, and he said, you know, compassion is something that I've seen for the first time, which is very different. So I think people are going to look at, you know, employers, uh, partnerships, all of that very, very differently, right? You know, everyone's out here, uh, you know, to kind of make money and be, be, be commercially driven. All that is fine, but at the end of the day, uh, you you value partnerships which are uh, which stay with you for a long run, right? So I think that's the most important piece. Second is obviously from a payable financing. Sorry. sorry, from a payable financing perspective, vendor financing, I think there's a significant opportunity, given that the market, first, because of GDP shrinkage, the market has shrunk, and therefore it's gone to, um, a few folks have actually a larger uh, share of the market now than they had earlier, before. so much I think that has happened, but I think the big piece is that the smaller guys, uh, again, need more help than ever before in terms of ensuring that you know they get paid early, they get they get paid not for shipment, but they get paid to actually in manufacture. And I think again, you know, if I am a supplier to let's say BFRL and I am a supplier to Page Industries, uh, today I think we only look at supplier, the anchor relationship, uh, you know, from a financing perspective. So I would look at Page and the relationship with off the spoke with Page. I would not look at oh he has five more relationships with different angles, and how can I kind of help him. In all those five, right? So I think that's the piece that, in my view, has significantly opened up. Plus, they are more open now than probably two thousand eight for sure in terms of uh, going digitally, uh, getting financing, uh, and even sharing data. So I think they are far more open than they are before. I think even regulations, to be to be very honest, are far more enabling than they've ever been. Uh, I, you know, I've always believed that. I think uh, RBI has done government on being what any other, you know, regulator in the world has done in terms of being far more nimble, being more customer friendly. Yeah, obviously it's a journey. Uh, like you know, all of us when we launch platforms, they're not day one. So it's a journey and it kind of evolves. But I think they've been they've been great. I mean, uh, the support that they provided to the corporates as well as uh, I think it's been can... I, I mean, so I though... think. In three, four, you definitely find something.
0: Uh, it's all about you know packing bags and getting down. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I, I missed you a little bit there. Say that again. No, no, that's it. No, not. No, I'm just saying that. Uh, yeah, you just you just need to pack your bags and get down to some of these tier two, three, four cities, and you know opportunities waiting. Yeah, that's it. All right, so we keep we keep joking internally that that COVID has been probably the best. 10, 11 12 months of, of our lives because all of a sudden you know uh, anchors started deciding that they need to finance their vendors and vendors uh, you know started piling on cash and, and that that really transformed the way that banking yeah. happens in this country so um, unfortunate event but but good outcome I would think for for the SCF Um that being said let's 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 on to talk about digitization. You've been at the forefront of digitization for, for several years now. Uh, why don't we start by talking about DBS Rapid and, and the solution that you know, you've uh, stitched together for truck drivers. I think that's, that's amazingly fascinating and very progressive for, for a bank. Uh, would love to hear more about that. And then we can talk a little more about how you see digitization as a, in the future. So look, I think uh, it actually goes way back. uh, I think uh, the
1: uh, mid two thousand and that's it. And 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 we said that you know if if you're a merchant, the best thing you want is cash and carry. You want somebody to give you cash across the counter, and then you'd like to deliver the best form. Uh, There is no delinquency. It's beautiful. Uh, Experience is great, but it's cash, right? And then and then we thought of you know how can we how can we move that to. you know, uh, the wire space, right? When you get money electronically. And that's how virtual accounts, etc., started off. And again, that initially started off in terms of data going you a couple of times a day. And as soon as, you know, the merchant knows that, you know, he's got funds. So like, Airtel would know they've got money from the prepaid distributor and top time is released. It's just beautiful, right? You don't need to wait for a couple of days for money to come in and then top time being released. So I think that was the initial piece. Uh, Rapid, which is basically APIs, which we use for uh, you know various customers in terms of providing data instantly. So again, out here we use uh, APIs from from the perspective of giving instant information on who's paid to our customers, so that goods can be dispatched. So that's your classic. You sell goods on cash basis, but you don't receive physical cash, but you receive it online, and you transfer the information within a minute or less, and then you know the whole ecosystem is beautifully oiled in terms of getting getting funds and then dispatching out. But that's more on the receipt side. But on the payment side, we realize that the biggest challenge that truck drivers have on the logistics ecosystem, two, two challenges. First is financing, right? Because the guy, when he starts the journey, he actually travels, he could travel anyway from like three days to like two weeks if he goes from Kanyakumari to like Goati. Um, so, so that's challenge number one. Uh, in terms of he not getting paid for it, right? So he delivers goods, then he gets paid after the POD is received within two to three weeks. So that is a big challenge. And the third challenge is that uh, he basically still needs money, right? Invariably, these guys need to going into uh, the the trucking company's office and withdrawing, uh, taking cash, or going into it, yes. uh, at at some of these outlets next to the offices and you know taking cash and then using it for fuel. Nothing beyond that. So I think that's where we thought that there was an opportunity if uh, the uh, if the trial aggregate in this case TCI could actually go in and you know use our online platform to actually push funds up. so immediately as soon as they got an order from an anchor customer like ourselves let's say a view tunilever would place an order that wants to pick up you know 100 kits uh, of stuff from factory action delivery to the distributor as soon as the order was transferred to PCI, they would actually, you know, transfer. they would place the order with a couple of records and then they would do money electronically using APIs to, uh, to their respective bank accounts and then on the way, they would keep on the drawing uh, uh, from a perspective of uh, gas, etc. Uh, so I think that's where they saw value, otherwise they were actually wasting at least half a day, two a day sometimes, to going into the office with my passion going where they could start the journey. So that's the value they saw. But again, we believe that the value out here will be significantly higher when we move back in, you know, in the ecosystem and so providing them financing on the, on, on the receivable side, right? Because they would have a part of the stables on logistics. So, so that's the big piece which Navi is also again you know, as you would recollect what I mentioned earlier, right, if we were stuck on this, looking at, oh, we've actually helped them get money, we would have been there. But we said, no, let's figure out what are the challenges they have. And this is the bigger one that we've kind of, you know, figured out at one of the, the good fintechs, a large Fintech in Bangalore. Uh, we've been working with them on the logistics space to see, to see if we can actually solve this problem for a couple of companies, because that's where I think they'll see real value. If we can provide them money and they start the journey, and when they actually deliver the goods at that time, so,
0: so again, great opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal opportunity, and uh, there is, you know, it, it's just 80% of the money typically gets paid upfront uh, yes. by by the aggregator or by the logistics company, and that's a huge working capital gap because yeah. by the time we were paying them back, it's almost worth Yes, 120 days. Uh, yeah. so, so that's probably, uh, and, and, you know, most trips don't fail. So from a risk yes. standpoint, it's also, it's also very, it's, it's amazing. I mean, to, to see DBS do that and, and you have that, um, if this is more FinTech than, than any FinTech could be, so, so congratulations, yeah, I, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah so so pay, pay I mean, pay it's,
1: pay. A, yeah, I mean, thanks to you guys said at least
0: we host to the corner to play differently. So as I said, it's, it's a great partnership, uh, whichever way you look it so where where do you where do you see digitization take you next uh, you know what are the gaps that you see uh, need to be filled so i think uh, so as I, said, I think the first piece is if we can be diagnostic
1: it's great uh, i think from a corporate buyer perspective by they would love to be engaged with a platform just for So i think that's one piece which, which will always remain the, the second one is multi tier uh, supply chain, I think that's the biggest piece in my view uh, where there is significant opportunity because, again, all of us are still stuck on the, the, the anchor buyer and the first level of supply. Uh, I think we need to go down to tier two, three, four. I think that's the, the other piece. Uh, and the entire ecosystem around logistics, warehousing, I think all of those, the, the entire support infrastructure which is sitting around it, I think that's the third piece which we want. Because all of those are working together, right? So unless until you have the warehouse, you did have the goods, and unless you have the logistics company, you won't have the most things moving. Then you have the trucking company, then you have the driver. So actually if you see, and then once you have the driver, then you can do financing to the driver also, right? Because you have data, you know how much he gets money, how much he gets paid. And so you can actually provide driver financing also, right, for the journey, but generally you can provide in financing. So there is a lot of opportunity in that entire space. So we believe if we can go down those, then there is significant value we can add. And all of those two Unilever actually, or let's say a big anchor corporate would have significant value, right? If we can fix that, because again, today, it's only the first leg which is not fixed or addressed, right? It's the, the subsequent ones because the cost is actually hitting the anchor anyway, right? Because all of them are embedding the costs. Uh, of actually financing in the overall cost that gets pushed up. So I think if we can do that, then we solve a big part of the problem.
0: Absolutely. And and, uh, you're right. I mean, the future of supply chain financing does look like tokenization and and multi-tier. Yes, absolutely. Um, Look, that being said, I think we're we're close to close to the end. Uh, I just have one question for you before we wrap up. Uh, Look, you've been a you've been a progressive banker. You've been super successful. What you've been doing? What advice would you give, uh, you know, uh, younger and aspiring bankers, uh, if if they want to lead the next wave of innovation and and, and growth in this country? So I think, I think you, know, you know, couple of things. Uh, one which I believe is is
1: non-negotiable. I mean, you got a significant amount of passion. Uh, I mean, if you're not passionate about things that you do, I think you should just drop it. It, it ain't working. Um, Second is don't get lost in processes. Uh, the goal is not the process, but the goal is, you know, the end product, which uh, which typically will not be right on day one. What you think as MVP on paper will not be MVP by the time you get it out and probably will not be even the best product. Uh, when you look back, say, 10 years, that oh, is just what we are research when we, you know, sat in a Starbucks and kind of do the blueprint. It won't be, right? So don't kill yourself if you kind of, you know, you know, if you kind of get lost, no, I didn't kind of fix it on day one. So I think it's fine. It's a journey, and I think invariably you get it right. In my view, you always get it right. It's just that you know how much of fire you have within you to kind of hold it on. I don't think any one of us fails. It, you learn as you go along, and it's part of the journey. So I, I, I am a firm optimist in these things, right? So, so if you're passionate enough, you've got fire in your belly, you see through. There's no way you fail. Absolutely no way.
0: Yeah, that's a very sure. good. Yeah. Great. This has been super fun. Uh, thank cool. you so much for your time fun. out and doing this. Really, really Thanks. appreciate it. Uh, it's been a super insightful uh, session. And congratulations once again on, on DBS Rapid and, and the solution you put together uh, for the tracking industry. That's, that's really, really commendable. And as a fintech, we are super excited to hear about that. Thanks. So thank much. you for
1: yeah, thanks Neil. Thanks a lot to you and your team. I think uh, you guys as well as the industry have been, you know, challenging us. Uh, and it's great. It's always good to have, you know, partners who kind of challenge you to do more. And, uh, you know, I wish you guys success and the entire industry also. And thanks a lot to, uh, you know, to the entire team for all day, uh, putting this together. Thank you.